0: all right good morning the title of the message this morning is widen your hearts widen your hearts coming from verse 13 um, i don't know that i've ever started a sermon this way before but um there's a song in the musical shrek <clears throat> anybody seen the musical shrek mm, well, one or two okay It's called, uh, the song's called I Know It's Today, and it tells the story about a princess who's in a tower waiting to be found by a handsome prince, you know, as those stories go, and on the first verse, the princess is seven years old, and she's waited for 23 days for her prince, and she sings about all the princess stories in her book, and how all the princesses are rescued, you know, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and Rapunzel and all those other ones. And um, she believes the same thing will happen to her. By the time we get to the last verse of the song, she has waited 8,423 days, and she's over 30 years old. 30 years old. And it's a cute song, um, watching the young girl age through the song and her frustration growing with each verse of the song you know the reason I bring that up is because we humans we love anticipation but we hate waiting you know probably every person listening this morning has some kind of a date coming up this year that you're looking forward to with eager anticipation for some it might be the start of a vacation Uh, For others, it could be a wedding ceremony or the birth of a child. For some, it could be the start of a new sports season. Uh, Maybe it's your retirement is coming up this year after a long career, and you can't wait, right? Well, try being the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus would arrive, waiting for that day. Year after year, generation after generation, God's people waited. They waited through exile and the return, through the days of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar, until finally that, <clears throat> that day came. In our text this morning, Paul will talk about the significance of that day and how it should still affect us thousands of years later on the other side of it paul in review here has just finished pointing out in chapter 5 you can probably see it across the page verses 14 through 21 how the love of christ and the new creation in christ changes everything it changes our life's direction notice verse 14 and 15 again we're no longer living for ourselves but for him who died for us and rose again. It's changed our direction in life. It changes how we view people and how we view Jesus. We no longer see one another or Jesus through the lens of worldly standards. It changes the way that we think about God's purposes in the world. Uh, down in verses 18 through 21 of chapter 5. Now he lets us know we are part of a world. Rescue operation. Four or five times in four verses, there we see the word reconciling. This ministry is all about bringing people back to God. That's our message. That's our ministry. So, here, starting in chapter six, Paul encourages the Corinthians and he encourages us to respond to these truths that we've just heard in last Sunday's message. And I think he wants us to respond to this truth at least in four ways. That's how I'm going to divide the text up this morning. So first, Paul calls us to seize the day. Seize the day. Verses 1 and 2. Look at that again. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, and here's a quote from Isaiah, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Unquote. Paul says, behold, pay attention, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So Paul begins this chapter by reminding them that God takes part in what Paul is urging them to do. Look at what he says there, working together with him it's exactly what Paul had said back in chapter 5 just across the page again verse 20 when he said that God is making his appeal through us it's what he had said in his first letter to the Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9 for we are God's fellow workers So understand when Paul's speaking here and he's making his appeal to the Corinthians, that they should be, the Corinthians should be picturing God shaking his head in approval with Paul's message. We're working with him, he's making his appeal through us. And here's the appeal the last part of verse 1. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God. In vain. Now, brothers and sisters, it's always important to pay attention to the context in a biblical passage. We talk about this a lot. There are right ways to interpret the Bible, and there are dangerous ways to interpret the Bible. A dangerous way to interpret this verse would be to rip out this phrase out of this chapter and say, Oh, you can lose your salvation. You can receive Grace in vain. And that's not at all what he's saying. So watch out for people who will take a verse like this, pull it out of context, and beat you down with it with false teaching. If you read this verse without context, like I said, it may well seem Paul's saying you can lose your salvation. But this verse has a context which we'll come to in a moment. Paul uses these words grace, and vain together, like this earlier in his first letter to the Corinthians as well. And it's instructive. Another um, rule of interpreting the Bible is that we compare Scripture with Scripture, especially when it's the same author, right? So um, you probably don't have to go back too far to see, and I'll have it on the screen. I think in in First Corinthians 15 and verse 10, look how Paul puts these words together. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Here it is. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. God's grace, Paul's saying there, was not in vain because of the work that he did in that context if you go on to verse 11 you'll see that it was preaching is what Paul's talking about in our context back in chapter 6 it's chapter 5 verse 20 the work of being an ambassador for Christ I like how one author puts it Paul wants the Corinthians to get gospel traction in their lives in other words don't just receive the gift of grace But work it out. Live it out. Show that it's not in vain. Now before we go on, I think it's good. Paul does this sometimes in his text too. He doesn't do it here, but we'll do it here. I think it's good to just stop for a moment and meditate on this truth. Part of God's sovereign and wonderful plan for this world is that He and you would work together on His mission of salvation to the lost. Just think about that. Of course, God gets all the credit. Paul said that back in chapter 15, right, of 1 Corinthians. God gets all the glory. But aren't you humbled? Aren't you honored to be tasked with such gospel work? You get to work with God in saving the world. What an amazing, amazing task. What an amazing mission that he set before us. Now, based on this truth, thanks, brother. <clears throat> based on this truth, Paul goes on to further explain and challenge them to seize the day. Look at verse 2. And as I mentioned, he's quoting here from the prophet Isaiah uh, chapter 49, verse 8. Here's what God says to in, in chapter 49 of Isaiah. He's talking to his suffering servants. You remember the suffering servant Psalms? There's a bunch of them in this in Isaiah uh, from mid 40s to, to mid 50s in Isaiah. And the suffering servant, of course, would be the Lord Jesus, who would come later, 700, 700 years later. But there, here's what the quote is In a favorable time, I listen to you, and in a day of salvation, i have helped you behold now is the favorable time behold now is the day of salvation it's pretty exciting i think that paul references isaiah's prophecy and then basically tells the corinthians hey this applies to you what god promised in isaiah 49 through his suffering servant jesus has actually begun there's no plan b this is it. So, this is the day that you get. There's no alternative. This is the only way through this suffering servant. In other words, this isn't the Old Testament anymore. This is the New Testament. And through Jesus, all things have become new. That's what Paul said in last week's text, right? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. It's a new day. It's a new era. It's a new time of God's working in the world for your rescue. But listen to Paul. He's saying more than simply this is a new period of time. He says now is the time. Now is the day. Friends, today is the day. Today is this day. You and I don't know that we have tomorrow. Today is the day for your salvation, friend. Today you can find help. Today you can find a way home to heaven, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are in your, in your life. So one of the ways you can seize the day is for those of you who are far from God, who have have been living life your own way, who have been rebelling against God's way, you can find salvation today. That's one of the ways you can seize this day. This is the day for you to say, Jesus is Lord. I believe in Him. I trust Him. I'm going to turn away from my sin and follow Him from now on. If you're like that this morning, don't leave this room without talking to me or another pastor or another Christian who's near you, who can help you find that salvation, that rescue, that new life today. Today is the day. But there's another way you can seize the day. And that is to recognize, if you're already a follower of Jesus, that you have been given a commission, actually an ambassadorship, right? To spread the message of reconciliation to a lost world. And you have the great privilege to live in the new day when Jesus has died on the cross and risen from the dead and ascended to the Father. He's done His job. He's also sent His Spirit. He's formed His church. He's given us His completed Word. We have everything we need to do our job as His representatives. God makes His appeal through us. But not if we're silent. So don't receive the grace of God in an empty way, a vain way. Don't be glad you're going to heaven and not concerned for everyone or else around you who's not. Now, now is the day of salvation. Seize the day. It's here. Second, I think Paul wants the Corinthians and us to serve the king. Just a a couple short phrases here in verses 3 and the first part of verse 4. Paul says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Sometimes people shift the blame to remove their responsibilities by faulting others. You've never seen that happen, have you? The reason I'm not going to that church or the reason I'm not being committed is because she's there. Or, he did that to me. Paul's saying, don't shift the blame. Don't shift the blame. In contrast to this, he goes on to say, look guys, I've been an open book to you all along. There's no dishonesty on my part. You can't fault me for your actions or your inactions. Look at the first part of verse 4. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And that sounds very familiar to what he had already said a couple chapters earlier in chapter 4 and verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Notice there. <clears throat> notice there the power, the muscle of Paul's service is proclamation. It's persuasion. It's, it's the open, as he says, the open statement of truth. Notice what it isn't. The, the muscle, the power of what Paul is doing here is not some kind of authoritarian aggressiveness or
1: bullying.
0: And I mention that because there's a big problem in the evangelical church. We keep seeing pastors and ministers falling one after another after another. And it's not always for sexual morality. And it's not always because of greed or or handling money badly sometimes it's because they're known as bullies and that does not reflect well on the gospel the power is in the word not in the force of the personality I think commentator Murray Harris is helpful here he says Paul was always aware that his preaching of Christ crucified was a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles But where he was able to avoid putting an obstacle in anyone's path, he professed to be scrupulously careful. The issue at stake was not his reputation, but the progress of the gospel. Christian ministry is discredited when the Christian gives offense by unchristian conduct. Expressed positively, I got to find the right, got to find the right frequency. Here we go. <coughs> oh, I'll be the newscaster now. Express positively, the upright life of the messenger demonstrates and enhances the power of the message. It is always true that the life of the Christian is the most eloquent advertisement for the gospel. Do you hear that last part? The life of the Christian is the most eloquent advertisement for the Gospel. I think that's what Paul's saying here. Because we serve the King, we must be careful how our lives detract from or complement the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is especially challenging when we face hard times. Paul certainly did, as we know, right? Right? There's several lists. <clears throat> Just in First in and Second Corinthians, he's got several lists of the, all the struggles that he faced. And he's got one coming up here in the next several verses as well. Paul's calling us thirdly to follow his example and stay the course. Stay the course. <clears throat> this is a long... <clears throat> this is a longer passage. From the end of verse four down through verse ten. And Paul gives us, I think, an insight here to his calling as an ambassador of Christ and as an apostle. This is what the apostles dealt with. So if you want to call yourself an apostle, remember later Paul's gonna in the later part of this letter, he's gonna to get to those super apostles, you know, those those guys that you know they want to call themselves apostles and say they're great and have everybody you know, follow them and do whatever they say, but they're really evil. Paul says, you want to be an apostle? You want to go through all this? <laughs> I'm not sure that I want to. But Paul stayed the course, and so can the Corinthians, and so can you. And I think to break up this, this text so it's a little easier to, to digest, I think we can see at least three categories here. The first category is the negative in verses 4 and 5. All these categories here are bad. <clears throat> so he first off he starts off by saying, "By great endurance." That's what I mean by stay the course. Okay, and now look what he says: <clears throat> in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger. Wow, <laughs> what a list, right? There's enough just in those two verses to make even mm, to make even the most courageous soldier lose heart. And then there's some positive things. Look at verses six and seven. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. We probably means there by the weapons of righteousness and the the hands. It's a picture of the Roman soldier. The sword of the Roman soldier was usually in the right hand and the shield was usually in the left hand. Defense and offense. Third category, verses 8 through 10, we see not negatives and positives, but opposites, pairs, several pairs of opposites. Notice how he puts them together. Through honor and dishonor. Through slander and... And praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Now, why is Paul giving such a list to the Corinthian Christians? I think he's actually trying to encourage them think about it if this is what it's like for christ's ambassadors like paul then christians themselves can expect until jesus returns that we too will face a life with ups and downs with ease and hardships And that's where 2 Corinthians began. Do you remember? This is a theme all the way through this letter. Verses, chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. I think it's up on the screen. Why don't you all read it together? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly comfort too. Remember that verse? My mind, of course, goes right to (coughs) my brother Greg Sethman, right? Who's had this long, 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 long period of suffering this year. And hopefully on the mend, right? Doing rehab little by little every day. <coughs> Greg texted me yesterday. Uh, he said he was lonely. So let that be a, a message to all of you first, okay? Take care of those that are sick. Go out there, visit those, fellowship with those people. Get, get out there at that rehab facility. Spend time with our brother. He's lonely and he's needs fellowship. But also he said he's eager to start using what he's learned through his suffering to help other people who will go through similar suffering. And that's exactly what the text says here in chapter one. <coughs> and I think it's exactly what <coughs> I don't know, it might make it doug. <coughs> it's exactly what Paul is saying in our text here in this long list of things as well. Back in chapter six. I got two more pages. Hang in there. Let's focus on verse 10 for a moment. This is one of the this is one of the great verses of 2 Corinthians, isn't it? Notice how these contrasts in verse 10, just for example, reflect the difference between the old and the new that Christ brings. Uh Dane, uh, look at those contrasts there. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Poor, but making many rich. Having nothing, but possessing everything. Commentator Dane Ortland, who has a, a great commentary on 2 Corinthians, he applies this helpfully to the Christian as we identify with Jesus in our lives. Here's what he says. In all this, a gospel minister is simply walking in accord with his Master with whom he is united. Christ Himself was sorrowful. Matthew 26. Read about the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Yet always rejoicing. Matthew eleven twenty-nine, 29. John 15, 11. That my joy would be in you. That it would be full. He was poor, Luke 6.20 tells us. Didn't even have, you know, a stone to lay his head on, right? Yet he made many rich. Mark 6.42, Luke 6.38. He had nothing, Luke 9.58. Yet he possessed everything. Matthew 28.18. All things are given to me by my Father. All power. John 3, 35. So I think what Paul's trying to do here by giving this long list of his own sufferings, along with some positives that come because of Christ, because of the new day that we live in, I think he's trying to say, stay the course, follow my example. Verse 4 again, by great endurance. Endurance. Does the Christian life ever get hard? Oh, yeah. Sometimes really hard. And yet, there will still at the same time be times of great joy and delight right alongside the suffering. We share in Jesus' sufferings. We also share in his comfort. And the text says we do both abundantly. Yes, sometimes the suffering is abundant. But the comfort is abundant too. That's what it means to be his ambassador. The end that we're coming to, right, is incomparably glorious. Remember 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Light momentary troubles can't even compare to what's coming. Can't even begin to compare. Paul finishes this section. Hallelujah. By giving us uh, uh, by get, by I gotta find the right pitch again. Uh, by giving us a needed motivation to be able to endure well, and that is Christian love. The fourth thing Paul wants us to do is share the love. Verses eleven to thirteen. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Look at the beginning of verse 11. If you read this literally in the Greek it says, our mouth is open to you. Our mouth is open to you. And then the end of the verse says, our heart is wide open. So You should be hearing a lot of of affection in that statement. So Paul's saying both in what he says and what he feels most deeply. And the word for affection here is the word for guts, bowels, what we feel deep inside of us. Paul's withholding nothing from them. He's not playing games with them. There's no spin with Paul. There's no deception. Paul's saying we have opened ourselves up to you. And certainly part of what that means is I can be hurt. And the Corinthians have hurt Paul. But Paul's saying we've shared unconditional, unrestricted love with you. He goes on in verse 12 to basically say, If you're feeling a chill in your own heart, go check out the mirror. Look at verse 12. You are restricted in your own affections. But even though Paul is revealing a problem in the Corinthian church, he will not allow it to harden his heart toward them. He's very pointed. He actually uses the word Corinthians in this verse. See it? He he uses that very infrequently in the letter. He's talking specifically to them, pointedly to them, but it's also paternal. In return, I speak as to children. He's not patronizing them. He's not saying, I'm better than you. I'm looking down on you. I'm all righteous and you're all the ungodly sinners. It's not what he's saying. This is a father whose heart is breaking for his spiritual children. And he says, as a result, widen your hearts also. In other words, it's time to share the love back. Let's get practical with this. When you start to feel that your church, or any church, is cold, cold cold-hearted, when you start to feel that fellowship is stiff or unfriendly, you and I might just want to start by looking in the mirror. And instead of talking about your church as uncaring or inhospitable, maybe asking Jesus if you might be the problem. Maybe it's because you've stopped getting involved in the life of the church. Maybe it's your refusal to slow down and listen to one another and laugh with fellow Christians. Maybe, maybe you're backing away from your brothers and sisters by, by hurrying away from our gatherings. Maybe that might be the problem. In fact, you might ask the Lord using verse 12, Lord, Lord, is the problem that I am restricting my own affections. It's at least a good place to start, isn't it? Now, brothers and sisters, I have been in congregations that are the problem, okay? I'm not denying that that can be the case. Um, where, it, where no matter what you do, and no matter how you love and care for others, all you get in return is you know frostbite, You know what I mean? I've been there. But I've also been a Christian for over 40 years. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. And my experience in ministry and as a Christian is that often when I hear someone say, that church is cold, it's not usually the church's problem. It's an individual's problem. Most of the time it's our problem. We restrict our own affections. But those who know the love of Christ and those who have been made a new creation in Christ, they seize the day. They serve the King. They stay the course. And they share the love I'm going to ask the praise team to come back, thankfully. (laughs) Ask the praise team to come back. ABF will be fun too, yeah. Uh, As the praise team comes to the front, let me give you four points of application to consider. Now the Holy Spirit may press other applications to your heart as well. But let me just suggest four from the text that may be helpful to you. Sacrifice is at the heart of the gospel. First in Jesus, right? Sacrifice is at the heart of the gospel. It's also at the heart of ministry. If we as a church family are going to grow this year in evangelizing unbelievers, you better believe it will cost us. Be prepared for that. And rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Second, The gift of God's grace in salvation must not be voided out by our inaction and ungodly living. Let your lives shine with God's grace and let your mouths be emboldened to proclaim Christ. Seize the day. It's here. Number three if you're here this morning and you are lost in your sins, I have news for you. There is no hope for you outside of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to heaven. Now is the time to stop trusting in yourself and rely on Jesus' death and resurrection as the only payment that god will accept for your sins today is the day of salvation and if we can help you to start following jesus as a christian to to rely on his death and resurrection to accept his great rescue for your sins forgiveness after the service is over in this little cubicle here to my right to your left Stop by and a counselor will pray with you and open God's word to you and show you how Jesus can become your Savior. Any Christian sitting near you would be glad to talk to you about that as well. And any of us pastors would love to do that as well. A fourth. Check the temperature of your heart this morning for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Has it been a little chilly lately? How can you widen your heart? What attitudes do you have that need to be broken down? What actions should you take to fan the flames of Christian love that Jesus first lit in your hearts? Do you need to linger more, slow down, listen? laugh, pray, eat with, share life with God's people. When we stop and realize that we have been bought, purchased, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that we are not our own anymore, then it is all joy to serve Jesus. It is all joy to honor him with our bodies, to submit to his word, to represent him before others. So as we stand and sing our song of the month, <clears throat> think about the words as we sing. You can stand. Think about the words in light of our text this morning. We are not our own. And as a result of that, let's seize the day. Let's serve the king. Let's stay the course. And let's share the love. Let's sing together. Or at least you guys can sing.